I'm Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. This is a podcast for women who wonder how strength and weakness coexist, or how to bless both bravery and tenderness. For those longing to bring the fullness of their glory to the world without a chip on their shoulder. For those who have embraced a global sisterhood and left small storied lives behind, this is for you. The fierce and lovely women seeking the both and of a big storied life. Join me as I chat with fierce and lovely women around the world. In this episode, I talk with Tina Osterhaus. Tina is a mom and a wife and an entrepreneur. She is developing online courses, starting a church with her husband, currently in grad school at Fuller Theological Seminary, and writing on the side. She is a woman of many hats. And one of her hats is that she used to live in Chile, and both of her children are uh, half Chilean. And I asked Tina, if you were to give me a tour of Chile, what woman would you want me to know about? And she told me about a woman whose name I am not going to pronounce very well. Please forgive my Spanish. Um, She is still living, and her name is Isabel Allende. And Isabel has been called the world's most widely read Spanish language author. Her bio and her rap sheet is a mile long. This woman has been prolifically writing and teaching and um, just traveling the world doing numerous, numerous things. In 2004, she was inducted into the American Academy of Arts and Letters. In 2010, she received Chile's National Literature Prize. And in 2014, she received from President uh, Obama the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Her novels have been translated into more than 30 languages and have sold more than 56 million copies. So here is an incredible woman, um, again, another woman whom I had never heard of. And so I assume most of you haven't either. And I wanted to introduce her to all of us as a tie-in with my guest today who has some Chilean roots of her own. One of the funniest things I read about Isabel is that she was fired at one point for making unauthorized changes to um, the dialogue of the heroine. She was translating some um, kind of romantic type films and, I don't know, princess type things. And she was fired because she changed the dialogue to make the heroine sound more intelligent. She also altered Cinderella's ending to allow the heroine to find more independence and do good in the world. I love that. I love that this woman was fired for trying to dignify women and raise um, raise the bar of how her culture would think of women. So she seems like a woman um, that I would enjoy getting to know. So I wanted to introduce her to all of us. 
us as we uh, get to know our guest today, Tina Osterhaus. Tina and I talk about um, discovering her voice as well as imparting a strong voice uh, to our two teens. Um, We talk about how to get our teens talking and how to um, cast a vision for them to live out their passion in the world. Enjoy this conversation I had with Tina. Well, hello, Tina, and welcome to the Fierce and Lovely podcast. Hi, Beth. It's good to be here. I'm thrilled to have you on the show and for my listeners to get to know a little bit about you. Um, As is so often the case, I have some of the most fun conversations before I even hit record. So (laughs) it's been fun chatting with you. You sound like quite the entrepreneur. Um, So why don't we take a few minutes here at the beginning and you just tell us a little bit about who Tina is. Thank you so much. Um, I am Tina. I am I'm a writer and a speaker. Um, I'm a seminary student right now. I'm actually going to Fuller Seminary. Um, my husband and I are the, at the beginning stages of starting um, what looks like it could be a church, um, which we're really excited about. I'm a mom. I have two kids. My daughter's 15. My son is almost 14. Um, I am a wife and a friend and a novice gardener. Um, <laughs> mainly, I'm I'm someone who loves words and um, voice and uh, using words to speak truth and to build up and to encourage all of those things. Hmm. You are a woman who is wearing many many hats, which honestly is is the case with so many of us women today. Um, do you often find that each morning it's you, it's kind of like, okay, which hat am I putting on for this day? Oh my goodness. You have no idea. Yeah. I'm also, I didn't even mention, I'm a substitute teacher in the school district. And so, yes, <laughs> I wake up and I think, okay, am I writing today? Am I um, preparing a message? Am I substitute teaching? And I sub um, kindergarten all the way through high school. So um, it could either be a first grade class or seniors that are ready to graduate. So oh yeah, my goodness. I feel like I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> flexibility. That's crazy within crazy. I, yeah. I can't imagine having to be that flexible to go into a you know kindergarten or senior high school class. Yeah, it's challenging. It really is. I mean, it's a great job for a freelance writer though, because I can work the day and I get off when my kids get off and I um, can pick the hours that I need to take. And so, I mean, it works really well for the wearing a lot of hats, but yes, Mm -hmm. flexibility is important. (laughs) Wow. So Tina, what kind of writing are you doing? So, you know, um, I, years ago when Emma was a baby, I started, I felt like God, um, gave me permission to start figuring out what it looks like to be a writer. And at that point, I kind of just played around with a whole bunch of different mediums. I wrote some nonfiction. um, And then I started to write fiction and fell in love with story and story arc. And I wrote fiction for about 10 years, published my first novel called As Waters Gone By, started another series called um, An Ordinary Love. And loved. I still love fiction. But then when I came home from Chile and my life took so many different turns, my sister and I were walking around 
my lake and we both, she kind of said, you know, it's time for you to step into some nonfiction. It's time for you, you know, and I, Mm. the last several years I've been, I really have leaned into nonfiction, um, to kind of creative nonfiction. I'm using my own life as a, as sort of what I'm writing about, I guess. Hmm. Was that a difficult transition for you? Because yeah. that's not common, right? That fiction writers would jump or or vice versa, go back and forth. I know. Yeah, actually it was. I think that um, if I were really being honest, I would say that I love fiction, but I think I used it in part as a shield to um, keep myself from having to be that vulnerable. Um, mm. And so the books that I wrote were, I told the story through, I told the truth through story, but I was really, I think in, in large part, kind of afraid to tell some of my deeper truths that have taken me. So, I mean, it takes courage to tell the truth about yourself, doesn't it? Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, I mean, I wonder if I'll go back to fiction at some point. I hope I do, but I think this season is a season of, um, of truth and of telling the truth through my own life and of not being sort of ashamed of it or afraid of it, if that makes mm. sense. Oh, it's beautiful. And I wonder if in the future your fiction will, f- will read a lot different. I wonder, actually. I really do. I, I wonder the same thing, actually. Hmm. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about speaking your truth and kind of writing now out of your story um, finding your voice in all of that. What has that looked like for you? You know, I think that, um, well, I have written a lot about my journey with alcohol, um, where I have, um, where I have blogged a ton about not drinking anymore, um, about the journey of, I did a hundred days without any wine and then I decided to quit altogether. So some of it has been a journey in that, um, as a woman, I, I've just finished a book proposal that is about 10 things I'm learning about being a strong, courageous woman. Mm. And I kind of like, I kind of like, um, for a lot of my last few years danced around that topic. And after a couple of rejections with a few book proposals about trying to like write something that I thought would be really safe and that would be easy I was, I had gotten some rejection letters and I sat down on my chair one. Oh, I kind of just gave up last summer and said, I'm just really done with writing book proposals. <laughs> this is not going anywhere. And I was frustrated. And then um, kind of out of, I mean, it's never out of nowhere, but I sort of came to this place where I went, this story about being a strong, courageous woman in my own life, things I'm learning about what it looks like to own my own voice and to um, step into my whole self has been, it's been my whole journey since I was like five years old. And why am I so afraid to just be and to just tell those stories? And so that began like this idea where I was like, I wonder what this would look like. And as I kind of began formulating the chapters and the title, I went, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be writing. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Actually it is. Yeah. It is really interesting. (laughs) It takes me a while to own what I want to say, I think. Well, I think that's true though of many of us. Like, why does it 
why is it so difficult to land on the core, the core message of who we are? Yeah, that's that's really true. To really put yeah. our finger on that. And we're already living into it, you know, whether we've named it or defined it or not. <laughs> yeah, um, that's exactly that's very true. Yeah. Well, I gosh, I can't wait to read that. I hope I hope it's a successful positive ending and then it gets yeah, picked so up. Am I. I'm hoping no, it actually I'm hoping so too. I mean, I was I shopped it. I, I talked to an agent. I mean, it, yes, I'm hoping so too. I'm, you know, titles and subtitles change, but I think this of is course. Work, of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in terms of um finding your voice and we were chatting about this before, you've it's kind of been something that you've been living, like you said, since you were five and living out even now in some of the spaces you find yourself. Let's talk a little bit about that and where you find yourself living out the that fierceness um, in fighting for your voice to be heard, fighting for the voice of others to be heard. Mm-hmm. What's that looked like in your life? You know, I think one of the things, um, you know, well, it looks, it's layered, of course. Um, for me, I think one of the things that it looks like is taking time to really listen um, in order to know what I have to say and and what others are actually saying. I think we have to cultivate patience and um, quiet. Um, the other day I was translating for a parent-teacher conference um, at a junior high and and I translate for for parents who don't, you know, obviously speak English. They are from, you know, from Latin Spanish speaking countries. And the teachers were frustrated with one of the girls because she wasn't doing her homework and she wasn't doing enough of the work. They didn't know why. And it was a conference where like six teachers were going around the room and this mom was quiet, taking it all in. And I was translating and about four, three teachers in not really anything positive had been said about this girl. And I could feel the weight in the room. And I thought, okay, I am the voice of this woman and I am the voice of these teachers. And I need to figure out what to do because I'm really uncomfortable with the negativity. Hmm. And this girl deserves something more. And so I paused the meeting in kind of a, like not inappropriately, but I mean, it's not really the role of the translator. Right. But I paused and I said, you know what? I know that we're going around, but I think we should give this mom an opportunity to tell us what's going on because there might be a lot of story underneath this lack of turning in homework. There could be a whole lot to this. And by just pausing and taking a time to make sure that everybody got to speak, this mom unloaded a truck load of heartache and pain and frustration and disappointment in the school district, disappointment in advocacy, in people that are taking the time to listen in communication. And like everything in that conversation changed. They got um, a counselor to help this girl. They um, stepped it up with translation um, of being in touch with this mom more often. And it, for me, like, I think a lot of times using my voice, there are times when I use my voice too quickly and, 
and jump too quickly into something and then realize, oh my goodness, I actually didn't need to say anything in this. And then there are other times when if I pause long enough to figure out what's going on and then raise my words and say, I think we need to listen. I think we need to hear what is going on. It's not just one-sided. There's two sides to this. That conversation and relationship can be cultivated. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think it's a posture of curiosity, isn't it? Being oh, curious about yeah. what else is at work here in this story, in this narrative that we're reading. There is more to this story. Yeah, there is. Yes, exactly. And I think for me, as I think in voice and in, well, in writing, I mean, I think because of fiction and learning narrative arc, there's so many layers to story and to truth and um, to recognize that everybody's story is multi-layered. We aren't just one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. We aren't just bad or good. We're a mixture of all of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's so yeah. funny that this, you bring this up tomorrow, I'm doing a another human trafficking training in the school district. And one of the things I do now with teachers is we take some time to go over some case studies. And these were all written and developed based on true stories of youth in our community. They were written by a survivor. And at point blank, it's just a description of what is viewable, right? What the teachers or the staff at the school can actually see with the physical eye. And then it, uh-huh. it asks, you know, the staff to consider various ways in which the school would intersect and et cetera, et cetera. Well, at, at about 10 minutes into the discussion, the small group discussion, I'll walk around and give them just a one sentence um, accelerator. It's an unknown accelerator, a, a portion of a story that is going on that is not physically obvious. And it changes the entire story right? The entire dynamic, the entire understanding of this young person's life shifts with that one extra piece of information. And it's it's really compelling for people to walk through as they realize, you know, of course, there's so much more going on in this person's life. If we don't have that posture of curiosity, we're going to miss them and they're going to fall through the cracks. And for my purposes, it's an, it's a realization that these are the kids who end up being trafficked. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly, well, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I love, I love that. Just that you have eyes for story. Um, Mm. And I'd love to, to talk about, ask you more about something we chatted about before that you're working on uh, some sort of course in the future called finding God in your story. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a passion of yours. I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm um okay, so like 17, 18 years ago, I was working with college students. I was a college pastor/director and spent a lot of time helping people find God in the course of their lives. Um and recognizing where God was and is working in people's lives. And I became incredibly curious about the whisper of God and the way that God um, is tenacious with pursuing relationship and friendship with people. And 
I started going, I wonder if there's a way that I could like document this and we could come up with some kind of a class for people to take to begin to recognize what God is doing in their lives and what God has been doing in their lives all along. Because everybody that I know that has come to a place of faith has this moment where they come into their faith, but there's like years before where they will say, it was that one teacher that saw me and I knew that there was something eternal about our encounter. And I, and, and like every, or I looked at a flower and I knew that there was a God Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, of course, scripture says that God put eternity in our hearts and so about 17 years ago, I started, do- I started writing this course and then, um, I lacked the courage and I lacked the confidence because I was young, but it has stayed with me. And so just recently I said to my husband, John, I said, I really want to finish this because I feel like we ache to see where God is working and we ache to find ways to lean into that work but we don't always know how. And so, um, you know, my, I, I'm writing this course that I hope will begin, that will be a kind of a platform or a, a springboard into helping people find God at work in their lives and in their stories. Hmm. So would you say that you see God oftentimes working in a, in a pattern or actually like a theme as if it was a narrative arc in our lives? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yes, I do. And I think that, um, yes. And I think that if we look, I mean, I'm, I've am i read scripture my whole life and I'm a reader. And so like, I'm someone that really loves the narratives of scripture. And when we look at how, like, for example, in the Old Testament, well, and the New, you see God shows up in somebody's life, steps out of eternity and into time. And that person has this encounter with God, and they build an altar, and they name God. They say, you're the God who sees, or you're the God who provides, mm-hmm. or you're the God who is with me, whatever. And and then you also see that out of those encounters, not only do we name God out of our experience, but God names us and says, you are a mighty warrior, or your name is Abram, but you will be Abraham. Um, you were Saul. And, and, and we also see patterns where people have these encounters with God and they change their own name. Um, you know, Saul names himself Paul to step deeper into his calling. Um, and I've been fascinated with that for many, many years, the idea of the God who names and the people who name God Mm. Mm -hmm. in the stories of their lives. Yeah. Have you personally walked through that where you feel like you've, you've done that, you've named God or, or you feel like God has given you a different name and you don't have to share if that's way too personal, but I'm just curious how that's intersected your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that um, if I look, well, yeah, then God naming me. I mean, I remember very clearly um, early when my children were small and I was lost. I mean, I was so lost. I had stopped working in vocational ministry and I didn't know where I was going and I was frustrated and I was angry with God. It is all get out. And I was um, 
walking and walking and it was like kind of a long is but where i feel like god said tina like really tina i want you to write and out of that like almost swirling chaos of frustration and lostness came an anchor and i became a writer um it was like god named the very thing i was too afraid to name mm-hmm. and said i want you to write as if um like you are a writer you need to write mm-hmm. um, and those things have happened over and over um where god has said you know i want you to speak or you are a writer or you are a pastor um that was kind of more recently i was watching a, an interview with tanahisi coates <laughs> And somebody said, is there hope for America? And he said, you know, it's not my job to give you hope. If you want hope, you need to go to your pastor. And in that very moment, I felt like God was like, I've been asking you to step into this identity as a minister of the gospel. Are you going to do it? Um, And I enrolled at Fuller Seminary about a month later. Oh, my goodness. Um, It became an act of obedience for you. Yep. An amended life. Yep. I mean, you know that God is working in your life or God has done something by by how you respond to it. You know what I mean? Um, and then, of course, I mean, me naming God, I feel like so much of my life has been about seeing God at work and doing something specific and saying, you are the God who redeems. You are the God who lifts up the broken. You are the God who raises up the humble. and um, the God who is with those who are in obscurity and who, um, are insignificant and unimportant, you know, like, um, you're the God who is my friend. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, it's clear just listening to you that one of the ways that he's fashioned you to reflect him is through words. I'm I'm just encouraged (laughs) listening to you. (laughs) And that is the way in which you are bringing forth life and beauty into this world is through writing, through um, preaching, through speaking. It's it's beautiful. Let's talk about another way that you were telling me that, that you have been bringing forth life and beauty, and that is around food. I want to hear, I want to hear what that means. Um, for you, what that has looked like for your table, what that's looked like for you. You mentioned being a novice gardener with your husband. Talk mm-hmm. to me about that. You know, I think home life is a really big deal for me. Um, I was connected to the Latin American and the, the Latino community for many, many years. Um, my children are half Chilean and we lived in South America. One of the things that I recognized um, early on, it, at, at the beginning, drove me crazy. But Hispanics eat almost every single meal together if they live in a home together. And um, when my first experiences in Latin America, it was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, you eat every meal together. There's such a sense of community. And I realized how desperately important it is to eat around the table. Um, and so for me, I can't manage every meal with my family. I'm a terrible morning. I mean, I'm not, I'm a, I get up early in the morning, but I don't talk. And so <laughs> breakfast is a no win for us. Um, and so I'm really committed to eating dinner together around the table. And one of the ways that I think 
moms or dads have the capacity, have the capability of gathering their children is if they make good food. (laughs) Good point. Um, Yes. And so I work hard to make meals that my children would go, oh, you're making honey chicken. I'm so glad. Um, and, And creating a beautiful meal. I mean, I think it's one of the ways that in my matriarchy and in being a matriarch, I feel like it's one of the callings to, um, to, you know, as I step into full sort of womanhood, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, to, to nourish my family with food and to, um, use the table as a, as a gathering place Mm. and create the table to nurture it in such a way that it's safe, that it becomes a safe space. So where conversation can be had, we linger at the table. Um, we have freedom to tell our stories, to disagree, to ask questions, to debate and to discuss. And so I've worked hard to cultivate that space. Um, and hmm. with, with my kiddos, I love that perspective and those words nourish and gathering I think oftentimes as women, where we also just naturally take that role on as as the cook, as the person who's there at that time of the day to put food on the table, but it feels like a chore. But with the Mm -hmm. perspective of a calling to nourish, a calling to create a space um, where there's freedom to share your story, the the word cultivate, all of that feels really different. Yeah. And I think that, you know, practically speaking, I really, I try to make like one to two good meals and then simple meals. I mean, grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup works as well. Sure. <laughs> you know, like where I don't, I don't bite off more than I can chew, but it's a commitment. I mean, it definitely is something that I, that I see value yeah. in. Well, how do you get conversation going at your table with two teenagers? What, what are some of your you know, tricks to, to spurring debate and uh, vulnerability and honesty at your table? You know, I think one of the, one of the um, ways is to learn how to ask open-ended questions, not closed-ended questions. So to try and ask questions that aren't easily answered with yes or no. So um, what was the best part of your day? Um, what was the most frustrating thing that happened today? Um, what do you think about this? I just heard that this is going on. And, you know, like one of the, one of the things that we spent a heap of time talking about was the school walkout that happened last spring. I don't know if you remember yes, that. Yes, in March over um, the park. park yeah. mm-hmm. Yep. And so my kids, we kind of live in a more conservative community and there was talk of if you walk out, you might get detention or you'll get in trouble. And so we spent a heap of time talking about um, nonviolent resistance. What does it look like to stand up for what you believe in, even if people will disagree with you? And so I think part of it, um, in answer to your question, is learning well, first of all, as a mom, not to be afraid of really big, meaty, hearty conversations. You don't have to have every, everything settled when you say, let's clean up. Um, you don't have to have all the answers. And if we're eating together often, we can come back to the same topics. So we'll come back and I'll say, remember how we talked about this last night or a couple nights ago? I've been thinking about it. What about this perspective? Mm. Um, 
And so like letting it be a running conversation. Um, and I think teenagers, if you are a mom or dad who gets freaked out really easily, you have to kind of bring your freak out radar way down <laughs> and not look like you can't get shocked. If my kids say a swear word at the tenor, at the table, I don't I I don't say anything about it. I like let it yeah. go because I'm like this is the place where we talk and where there has to be freedom. So if you don't and and I think as a parent, if you have freedom to be yourself, you will cultivate freedom for other people to be themselves. Yeah. I don't know if that. Makes oh, sense. totally. I love that. Bring the freak out radar down. Way down. Yeah, you got to drop it down. You got to be like totally chill. You know, when they're like, this happened, everybody's vaping. And I don't know if I, you know, and I'm like, hmm, well, are you vaping? Instead of, <gasps> right, you know, oh my gosh. <laughs> We're going to change um, schools now. Yeah, exactly. You know, I just kind of go whoosh, way down and then start going, okay, well, what do you think the attraction is? And why do you think that they're doing this? And where do you fall into all of that? You know, I mean, you just have to be like kind of chill, even though on the inside you're like, oh my gosh, I have to call the principal right now. You know? <laughs> right. Yes. Check. Check the face. Check the the response. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, I love that. And I'm sure that you are raising um, kids who are passionate and are critical thinkers, right? I mean, I'm. what kinds of things yeah, do you find right. your daughter, your son and daughter being drawn to? partially as you know, a result of these kinds of conversations. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, both of them, they're pretty different. So Lucas, my son, he's going to kill me, for, but he maybe won't listen to this. So that's okay. <laughs> he's, um, he's not really that into politics. You know, he struggles with the tension of politics, you know, and my daughter really likes to talk about politics and the debate and uh-huh. everything. Um, but both of them, like the other day, um, he came home and said something about the environment and not wanting to eat certain foods because of what it's doing to the forest in a part of the world. And I, and I just listened and I said, that is awesome. We need to look into that some more. We need to do some more research. Um, Emma, exactly. I mean, she's really an animal. Um, she loves animals and she does a lot of research on whales and on the orcas, on dolphins. and. I'm not a huge animal activist. You know what I mean? It's not something that really I'm not that passionate about. Um, But I am doing my very best to embrace that and to say this, if this matters to you, this matters Mm -hmm. to me. And I will, I will, I will do the research with you and we'll figure, you know, we'll figure things out and I will support you in it. Um, Am I answering your question? I'm trying to remember. Well, yeah, I think (laughs) Tina, I think I've been telling some moms this, that, we don't have to, our kids don't have to be passionate about what we're passionate about. But when they see us being passionate, it gives them a context for what that looks like in their lives. And then as soon as they've begun to discover for them what that might be, our job is to just like fuel it and bless it and learn about it, like you said. Um, And so I think what you've done is you have shown by example what it means to use your voice, what it means to pursue what you're passionate about or what you feel called to, like in your writing or going back to seminary, your kids are seeing that. And now they have a context for what it looks like to be passionate about something. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's that's so spot on. I mean, I think as a mom and as a 
teacher and, you know, seeing the way that kids come into their own, I think that you have to, um, I think if we model passion and we model, um, the things that, that if we model a willingness to be moved by things, then we grant our children permission to feel and to care and to see, um, and my kids, you know, they do, they actually, I'm surprised they both speak Spanish. And so there are times when they're, they also translate for things. And they went to one of the, they went to a function not too long ago where they were helping um, people sign up for different kinds of aid that you mm-hmm. can get. And they were having to translate some pretty difficult stories. Mm-hmm. And my son said, that was heavy. That was really a big deal. They were saying they are going through so many hard things. And I think one of the, you know, I'm not a mom who has been afraid to expose my kids to humanity, to real life and to really difficult things. And I think that part of that is because we talk around the table, they have a place to process it, but I'm not a huge protection, like keep them from seeing these things. I think the more that our kids are exposed to realities the more that they will begin to recognize what moves their own heart. So true. I I quoted Kate Connor in my book. Um, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but something like, if we expect our kids to fight the fire, we're going to have to get them close to the flame. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. That is exactly right. Yeah. Yep. You're, that's spot on, yeah. I think. And it's hard as a mom. I mean, I want to protect my kids. I want to give my children experience, I don't know how much I want them to have to be exposed to things, but they're 14 and 15 and they, they are going to be voting in a few years and they live in a complicated society. And I, and I, you know, God always gives a greater grace. And so every generation that comes into their own and we, and that we pray for, we pray that they will find God in the stories of their lives. And yet we're also afraid of the generation that they're living in. And we forget that that generation is God's generation. Yeah. God always gives a greater grace. And every generation will be given what they need to find God in their time, yeah. in their in their mm-hmm. place. And honestly, if... If we aren't the ones who are helping to metabolize what is being thrown at them and to help them digest it and make meaning from it, someone else will. Mm -hmm. Their peers will, kids at school, teachers, right? So they're facing it outside of our home. So if we're not there to to help make meaning for them, right, they'll make it on their own. Yeah. I like the word metabolize. That's exactly Mm -hmm. right. That's such a great word. Yeah. That's Wow. Well, Tina, this has been so fun just to get to know you a little bit better and to hear about some of the the ways in which you are bringing your fierce and lovely to your sphere of influence. Um, can't wait to see what comes um, from your your online course, Finding God in, in Your Story, and hopefully your future book. Um, And I'm going to put some links in the show notes about to the blog that you referenced about stopping to drink wine. I remember reading that and being really struck by that. It was compelling, Um, as well as your website where folks can read some of the articles you've been writing for She Loves Magazine and um, Christians for Biblical Equality. You've just got a lot of great content out there that I want to point people to. So 
Thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing with us today. Thank you for having me, Beth. You're just such a, it's, it's a really a delight to get to know you better as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, you can follow along Tina's journey and stay connected to her by uh, just getting in touch with her with any of the links that I'll leave for you in the show notes. As we ended our conversation talking about teens, I just wanted to remind you that I've got plenty of resources for you over on my website, avoicebecoming.com. You can pick up my book if you're raising a teen daughter. My husband has a book for you if you're raising a son. Uh, His is called Manmaker Project, Boys Are Born, Men Are Made. You can find out about all sorts of father-son and father-daughter experiences on his website, restorationproject.net. And for those of you who were interested in a mother-daughter experience with your young teen daughter, um, the one that I was launching this summer and launching this summer sold out in less than a week. So if you were interested or want to stay connected, make sure you sign up for my email list so that you can hear about uh, when the next one comes out and get into that wonderful opportunities for you to connect with your teen and for you to begin to lift their eyes uh, to the bigger story that God is telling through them and to help them locate the passion that has been written into their hearts. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as I have. Thanks for listening. This is Beth Bruno, and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.